Go get him, ma'am. A little um, disconcerting. Since I'm the Canadian and I'm dressed like a Californian and you're the Californians and you're all dressed like Canadians. Is it cold or what? Yikes. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to revisit the Christmas story in a way that probably you've never done before. We want a new take on this. We read these words and we've heard them so many times, they, in a sense, lose meaning for us. So we're going to do this in a way that makes it all very real. But first, we're going to read it. This is Luke 2, 1 to 18. And then I'm going to narrate the story, and I'm going to take you through a meditation on what was happening that night, but you are going to be one of the characters in the story. So as you use your imagination, it will come alive for you in a whole new way. And then we're going to find out how it was to be that person in that story, what you realized, maybe a new take on this story, and we'll have a little discussion about that, and then I'm going to tell you what mine was, because the first time I did this with this story was... 30 or 40 years ago. Good Lord, I'm old. I'm, I'm so old, it's frightening. But um, I, had a, I had an amazing revelation and a new understanding about Jesus just from reading the Bible this way. So, let's read it, and then I'll take you through it. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son, She wrapped him in clothes at strips of cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes, claws, strips of claws, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them, gone into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now we have the framework of the story. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You don't have to do this, but you'll get something out of it if you do. 
I'd like you to get as comfortable as you can. You want to sit back in your chair and uh, recline a little bit. Just get comfortable and close your eyes. And I'm going to tell this story, and you, from your perspective, are going to be in the story. Are you ready? But you've got to keep your eyes closed. And just let your imagination fill in the details as we go through this amazing night. You are the child of the man who owns a small inn in the town of Bethlehem. Your father owns a small inn in Bethlehem. See yourself in the kitchen of your father's inn. How old are you? There's a knocking at the front door. Your father answers the door. There's a young couple at the door looking for a room. You look and you see this young girl is very pregnant. And your father is telling them that he has no rooms available. But they can sleep in the manger with the animals if they want to. Soon you hear noise coming from the stable. You've heard this noise before. It's the sound of someone having a baby. Moaning and groaning. This young girl is having her baby in your stable. This goes on for several hours as you listen. Soon it is quiet. So you walk to the stable to see if everything is all right. You don't want to intrude, but you're concerned. So you walk in very quietly. There they are. The husband, his wife, and a new baby. What do you see? How do you feel? The next thing you hear is a loud commotion outside the stable. You hear voices coming towards the stable. A group of shepherds come into the stable. They're very excited. They're all talking at once. They see the baby wrapped in strips of cloth. They get even more excited. They shout, He's the one. The one. He's the one the angels told us about. And as you watch, they tell the father and mother about seeing an angel. Seeing a whole group of angels praising God, saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Father and mother, they're overwhelmed with joy. How do you feel? The shepherds ask if they may hold the baby. Mother gives the baby to the shepherds. They take turns 
holding the baby. They're in tears as they hold the baby. How do you feel? Soon the shepherds leave and the baby's mother notices you standing and watching. She looks at you and says, you want to hold the baby? How do you feel? What do you say? Hands you the baby and you take him. Hold him in your arms. How do you feel? What do you think? Let the scene fade and open your eyes. How did it feel to hold Jesus? What else? What reaction did you have to holding Jesus? John said he was shocked that God had made him so vulnerable that he could have been dropped by a boy. That's exactly the same revelation that I had when I did this meditation. It actually frightened me. I thought, I could drop him right now. And end everything. The more I got to thinking about it, realizing I'm, I'm, I'm holding the future, of the human race in my hands, vulnerable, he was. I realized I could drop him and end any chance of peace for the world. I was overwhelmed with the trust that God had in me by letting Jesus rest in my arms. The more I thought about it, the more I realized how small and powerless he was and how vulnerable he was to human evil or neglect. And then this realization came to me. This is how he was born into me when I became a Christian.
His presence in me was not overwhelming. Didn't come and overpower my will to make me good. Our relationship started out as a very fragile thing. Just like a baby coming into the world. Our relationship depended on how I cared for it. Just like the health of a tiny baby. Without care, our relationship with Jesus would have died. Baby never forces itself on its parents, cries out for what it needs to survive, but it is always dependent. Isn't that amazing? He trusted his life into you. And powerfully as he is, he's chosen to be vulnerable to us. You know, no matter how long he lives with you, he's always vulnerable to you. We determine the condition of the relationship, not him. Isn't that amazing? He is so If there's anyone in the universe who has the right to be pushy and bossy, it's him. And he never does. It's not the way he leads. It's not the way he cohabits within us. It's always by influence. Quietly, subtly, constantly influencing us for good. Someone said, God's very easily pleased, but he's hard to satisfy. He always remains easily pleased with whatever you give him. Whatever room you make for him, he's thrilled. But he never quits asking for more. And when you think about it, you wouldn't want him to quit asking for more. Because the more of him is the only hope you have for becoming the person you want to be. Last week, John said that Jesus does not just give us peace. He is our peace. He is the source of peace in our lives. John talked about the choices we need to make in order to keep that peace. Remember that sermon? Choices we need to make to keep the peace. The truth is, (laughs) we need to be vigilant to protect His peace within us just as if it were a small and powerless baby in our care. Our relationship with Jesus needs to be nurtured and protected and fed and washed regularly. The new life within us, and it is vulnerable. This is so coincidental, John. Talk about peace and what it takes to maintain it. On November the 15th of this year, during my quiet time, my feeding the baby time, I asked the Lord what he wanted to say to me today. And this is what he said. 
Protect my peace. Evaluate every choice you face with respect to the protection of my peace in you. Few things are worth the loss of my peace. Not indulging in anger, not worry, not shallow pleasure. My peace is how you experience my presence most of the time. My peace is my coming to you. It is my presence and my rest. Protect it. How do we protect this peace? How do we nurture the relationship? But in particular, how do we protect His peace within us? Because there is no other source of peace in the world. This is it. I don't know, honestly, guys. I mean, I don't know about you, but I watch the news and I read and I see the word, the world spinning out of control. There's just no peace. And it's far worse today than when I was a child. I know old people always say that. But it's true. You know, I grew up, there was no such word as terrorism. There'd never been a school shooting. We would go to the park. We would play till 11.30. This is in Canada. Sun doesn't go down till 10. We'd play till 11, 11.30, play football till we couldn't see the ball coming through the air anymore. And then we'd all just go home. Nothing bad ever happened to anybody. Not anymore. If we're going to have peace, it's because we have Him. But we don't just have peace automatically. We cooperate with peace. We nurture peace. We protect peace. We're peacemakers. We're people of peace. And the pace and the speed of life is such that it's almost, I won't say it's a conspiracy, but maybe it is demonic. But our lifestyle is so fast and so crazed and so busy that opportunities to have peace and enjoy peace are few and far between. You used to be able to have peace just by coming home from work back in the old days. Now, if you don't fight for peace, you won't have it. If you're not intentional about it, it won't be there. And for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, we have to care for it. So how do we nurture peace? This is an open-ended question. We have a lot of time here, and, and um, I love it when we have these discussions. So let's just brainstorm together about some ideas of how we can protect our peace, our relationship with Him, the source of our peace. You've got to make time. You've got to prioritize time to spend with Him.
Gary's saying one of the ways we protect our peace is we share it. The shepherd asked, he said, may I hold the baby? And he let him hold the baby. Shared peace. So we're talking so far about setting time aside for the relationship. But look, when we set time aside, and we're talking about sharing the peace, but let me back up a minute. When we set time aside for the relationship, and we get together with Jesus to enjoy his peace, and you begin to, to calm down and get still, and you begin to quiet your heart, and you start to sense his presence, you begin to get in contact with his peace, what's the next thing that happens? The devil shows up as your executive assistant with your day timer and all the things you need to do that day. And he begins reminding you of all the tasks you need to do so that within a few minutes you've completely lost your peace. Have you ever had that experience? You know, he's very helpful when it comes to reminding you of all the things you have to do. So your time with Jesus turns into a mere planning session for the day. Gosh, it was funny. I'm thinking of a girl in our church in Canada. This is like 30 years ago. And uh, a prophetic guy came through town. Prophecy is where you hear something from the Lord that you could not humanly know. And you tell, tell that person what the message is from the Lord. And this prophetic person looked at her and said, I see lines. I see lines one after the other, like on a football field, very close together, and they go all through the day. And she started to laugh. And she said, a few weeks ago, I took my day timer and I chopped it up into 10-minute increments and drew lines throughout the entire day. So, so, I, could not, so I could not waste time for God. Didn't want to waste his time. So she had taken her day and turned it into 10-minute increments from morning till evening. But this does this doesn't creep you out? I mean, I think that is tyranny. And this prophetic guy said, "Oh, okay, well that's what it means. You're supposed to get rid of the line." best thing we can learn to do is waste time with God. Have you ever noticed old people, your grandma and grandpa? They sit there on the porch or in front of the TV and a half hour goes by and one of them says, kind of cold outside. The other one says, yep. <laughs> and another 15 or 20 minutes goes by. Might snow tomorrow. Another half hour goes by. Need to pee. Go. We don't measure. The better the relationship, the more you're comfortable with silence. The better the relationship, the less you're pushing all the time to get the relationship done. You learn to become comfortable with one another so you can just be still. You can accept silence. 
God doesn't have to talk all the time. In fact, He's often better when He doesn't. We have to we have to be prepared to waste some time with him and just be still and enjoy his personality. What else? How do we protect the peace? A fragile relationship. You prioritize what's important to him, and then he prioritizes what's important to you. So then you worry less about what's important to you because you know you've got the creator of the universe on it. So it's just easier to live. <laughs> Way easier to live. Yeah. What else? Absolutely. Music's one of the most useless things you can do. No, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make your... Well, we wish it would make us rich, but it hasn't yet. It doesn't solve problems except emotional ones. I mean, it's, music is just one of the most wonderful ways to kill time. There's nothing productive at the end of it because you didn't record anything, unless you're like a superstar or something. You just did something beautiful. That's all you did. You just did something beautiful. What else? The more you let go of, the more peace you have. Your peace is proportional to what you let go of. So you share Him with somebody else. Your stories of Him, their stories of Him, their relationship with Him, your relationship with Him, and He becomes more clear to you in that process. As he, Mark asks God to quiet the other voices and the concerns and things that are, that are bothering Him. We have the time. I want to do an exercise with you. You're going to like this. Okay, ready? This is another one of these interesting imagery things. Are you up for it? Okay, close your eyes. This is going to reveal some, some interesting things. I want you to imagine that you're standing outside a very large warehouse, like a Costco. It's this huge building. You're the only person there. There's nobody else around. You go in the, there's a little door. It's open. And you wander into this warehouse, and it is absolutely huge. And there is nothing in it. Cement floor. Distance. But there is one little 40-watt light bulb hanging from a wire in the middle of the warehouse. And it casts a yellow circle of light on the cement. And you're walking towards that circle of light. See that circle of light distance. Come up. Step in to that circle of light. Now all of a sudden, 
you notice that there are a bunch of you, other yous, in that circle of light. There's you, the father. There's you, the mother. There's you, the employee. There's you, maybe the employer. There's these other yous. There's you, the friend, the son, the daughter, the brother, the sister. There's a bunch of yous, the soccer coach. the Sunday school teacher, whatever. There's this bunch of other yous in this circle. And you go from one to the next and you just dismiss that you. You just say, you can go now. They just step out of the circle. Who do you dismiss first? Let them go. Just say you, and you're not mad or anything. This isn't aggressive. This is just, it's okay. You can go now. And they just quietly step out of the circle. Who do you let go first? Who do you let go second, third, husband? Wife, brother, sister, friend, boss, worker, employee. Dismiss each one of them from the circle. See them go. Till there's only one left. That's you. Now you realize that light that I'm standing in is the presence of God. Feel. That light that you're standing in is the peace of God. Okay, that fade and open your eyes. Who is the hardest to get rid of? <laughs> Rick, Rick kicked the anxious Rick out first and he kept coming back. <laughs> you get rid of them? Were you able to let go of the expectations that you have for yourself and the expectations of others, because that's what these are. 
Could you get alone and just be in God's presence? How did it feel? Feel good? Okay. You guys can do that in your quiet time. Every time you come to Him and you're stressed and there's all these expectations and all these roles and all these obligations and all these identities that we put our worth in and define ourselves as. I'm the guy that does this. I'm the mother that does that. And you can just shed all that stuff and just come into His presence in simplicity and be just who you are apart from all the roles and all of the expectations and all of the concerns and all of the worries and you can enjoy His peace. It'll work. Okay. Done. You know, there's nothing more that I, uh, there's, there's, no, there's no clearer way that I've heard it said or could say it regarding uh, Christianity. And that is, and as you see that picture up there of Jesus in the manger, that Christianity is not a religion. It is not a religion. It is a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way, the truth not truth, the truth, and the life. Nobody, Jesus said this, nobody comes to the Father except through me. And it wasn't an arrogant statement. It was just a factual statement. And so that's where peace begins. And so before we um, leave this place of peace, that's the first thing I felt, Mark, when uh, all my roles were gone. And it was just me and God. Yeah, it was weird up to that point. I didn't know where you were headed. I was hoping you weren't about to do, you know, leap off into some new age teaching and I was going to have to fix it. So you landed in a good place. So, yay. You just never know where he's going to take you, but he always, you always end up with Jesus. So once you, once you've gone on a few of his trips, you, you, you start to be a little more okay because you always end up where Jesus is. So that's good. Oh, uh, so Hope has, Hope has something she'd like to share. For those of you that don't know, this is my wife. It, w- it was a mercy marriage. In uh, thinking about ways to maintain peace, um, you know, John touched on a couple of weeks ago, about cultivating a heart of worship in a season that tends to be frenetic for reasons that we are all aware of, the shopping, the lines, the traffic, the travel arrangements, the food. Um, And then you add into it, like some of you probably have heard us talk about the last couple of weeks, we've had a child break their arm, we've had a child faint a couple of days ago, we had to put a cat to sleep, I'm in finals, my son's in finals, my daughter's in finals, all this craziness, and uh, learning how to stay centered and know what to say yes to and what to say no to. But this morning, um, as I was looking at that picture up there of them worshiping, um, coming to worship the baby and realizing that we need to keep our perspective during Christmas on that it really is a season about worshiping 
the gift of Jesus Mm -hmm. um, to us, and that's what it really is all about. I think what it also is, and I think it helps us to maintain our perspective, is um, where the scripture says, where Jesus says, what you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. And so one thing that I would like to encourage you guys, and I know many of you are way ahead of of me in this and already do this, but something that we've been doing as a family this week is um, we really want to be conscientious and working into our family traditions of making it about the least of these and knowing that that is a way that we can worship Jesus during the season is to find a way to give back to the least of these. So as you're, you know, every family has their own traditions. Some of you make certain cookies every year. Uh, Bella and I go through Food Network magazine and we find cookies to make. Or we go eat Mexican food on New Year's Eve. Um, right now we're figuring out what we're going to do as a family to help um, either the Syrian refugees or maybe the homeless downtown. I would like to encourage all of us as Christians to work into our family traditions. What is something that I'm going to do to minister to the Lord by ministering to the least of these? Whether mm-hmm. it's through widows, um, you know, nursing homes are full of widows and widowers that never get visitors at Christmas time, mm-hmm. or children that are in foster care, or people that are sick during the holiday, or people that are in prison during the holiday. Um, uh, I was just reminded this morning about um, uh, how the Lord really has touched what's really, really close to his heart is whenever we minister to him by ministering to these that are among us. Mm. Kaboom. So, if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, you've never turned your life over to him, this is your moment. And the peace that was talked about today will become yours. And it will be yours forever. Because salvation is a free gift. So you can't earn it. There's no way you'll show up on the day that you meet God and impress him with anything you've done. That is not the way you enter heaven. It is strictly uh, by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior because he died for your sins. There's no way your sins can ever be remitted other than through Christ. So I'm going to ask uh, as we... In our service today, I'm going to pray a blessing over you and end the service. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come up front. And these prayer teams are going to pray for the sick. If you need a miracle, if you need to have a certain need in your life, these are portals of heaven. These prayer teams, Jesus, who are two or more on earth, agree in prayer regarding anything my Father in heaven will do it. So these prayer teams are ready to pray for a miracle for you. The greatest miracle is your salvation. Salvation is a miracle. Jesus called it a new birth. He said that when you were born out of your mother's womb, that was a natural birth. He said you must be born into the kingdom of God. And that is when you receive Jesus as your Savior. He breathes his spirit into you. And you literally are born again spiritually. That's how you enter the kingdom of God. That's how you enter heaven. It's a free gift. It's a new birth. And so as the prayer teams come down right now, they're going to be ready to pray for anybody who comes down. But especially for those who want to give their life to Christ, come down here. And they're going to pray.